Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Room 404. I'm your janitor, Ewan Spence, and seven weeks ago when I thought this would be a really neat one-shot joke idea for Beta, little did I think that we would be recording one show seven weeks later live in Austin with my guest opposite me here in the table in the depths of the American Room 404, commonly known as the last dying hours of breath of South by Southwest Interactive. For those of you who have not listened before, Room 404 is simple. It is the room where everything that you forgot about is in here. If I look to my left, I find the delightfully scary game of Stop the Terrible Tank. Uh, if I look around the corner, uh, I have uh, Jeffrey Archer's career. Uh, and there, lurking in the corner, I have Adam Curry's claims to be the man who invented podcasting. Joining me now in room 404, a very famous technology guest who's looking to bring four of his old favourite things back out of room 404 from the depths of his memory back into society. And, for karmic balance purposes, attempting to put one thing as well. Joining me now, I have... The man who invented podcasting. <laughs> it's Kevin Marks. Hi there. Great to see you again, Ewan. It is, yes. And it's the first time somebody can actually say that on Room 404. Let's clear up a point first, though. Did you invent podcasting? Um, I didn't invent podcasting, but I did invent downloading audio from blogs into iPods. Yes, it's Ben Hammersley actually invented the word. Yes, but it was Dave Weiner who came up with the idea of attaching audio files to um, RSS feeds. It, re- it really is this long, complicated historical thing, isn't it's it? It's a silly, very long and silly argument. Yes, and we're British. We like long and silly arguments. Well, I've been in America for 14 years now. The, sort of the novelty is expired. <laughs> starting to wear off. So you've got an impressive list of, for want of a better word, geek credentials here from the early internet days, haven't you? Oh, well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I've been, I've been ha- hacking on computers for, let's see... Since 1978, I can't actually do the maths in my head, but the first thing I wrote with a, for the computer was a program for the Commodore PET um, that I sold to um, help someone sell fax machines by calculating how much cheaper they were than um, sending letters. And on from there, and various bits of streaming media and tech and IP and voice, and a lot of it built around media, even from that first program. Sure, I don't think you've ever told me that story before. Everything to do with moving one thing from one place to another efficiently. I suppose that's true. I mean, I, the, the first startup I did um, was when we left the BBC and started Multimedia Corporation in 1990, and our, our goal there was to, to make computers do video. We had a slight problem is that computers were not capable of doing video at this point, so we had to attach external devices and control them through serial ports to do video instead of digitising video and putting them up on the screen. But a few years later, some helpful people at Apple invented QuickTime. We were able to start doing video, and that was good. Yeah, we got it. So... We're going to rattle through this one. Those of you who've not been at the South by Southwest Interactive Festival before, it's four or five days where about twenty thousand smart people descend on one conference centre to to learn from each other, to party with each other, to exchange tips and show off their their new applications and new wear. So time is scarce. So Kevin, thank you for sparing the time today. Not at all. Uh, we have four items to come out. One to go in. We're going to rattle through these slightly quicker than normal, which is good because this may be a twenty-minute show that usually goes fifty. We've only got. 25 minutes of capacity left on the mini-disc, so uh, what's going to be joining my bit of old technology, potentially? So, one thing I really miss is rootable IP addresses. I mean, this is so far in-depth and nerdy, and let's explain it for the more casual person who just goes, what, is that like where I put in my phone orange.wap? So... 
The IP address is the unique number that your computer has to send information over the internet and to receive it back again. Um, and the problem is we've run out of them this year. Um, there are potentially not quite 4 billion of them, um, and we've allocated that many already. What this means is when your computer now needs to route information over the internet, it doesn't have a real IP address. It borrows one from somebody else and has a made-up one for the first leg of the journey. And that makes it very hard for information to be served from you rather than for you to fetch from the internet. And this is a problem. Um, Tim Berners-Lee could not have invented the web in the first place without routable IP addresses. He happened to have a computer on his desk connected to the, to the internet. Um, and he said, oh, what if I, instead of having these IP addresses, what if I changed these text strings into IP addresses and connected that over the net so that we can move information back and forth? And he built a web server on his own machine, and he worked a web browser on his own machine. But the web browser worked on somebody else's machine and see his machine, and it worked. Now we don't have this. Most of the time, we're sitting um, with a, a computer or a phone connected to somebody else's Wi-Fi with a fake IP address. We can't run servers. All we can do is be clients. And this is a problem. This means it makes it hard for us to come up with new protocols and new ideas um, to connect stuff across the net. And we end up routing everything through web pages um, and having a big distinction between stuff that's on our own machines and stuff that's out there on the web, whereas before, the stuff that was on your own machine could be out there on the web. This is really something to try and boost the hacker culture because it is possible to get a routable IP address depending on if you're at university or if you're on a specialist hosting company, but somebody who's on, say, Virgin Dial-Up in the UK, they're going to have problems, aren't they? Yes. Um, the other, well, the other part of this is that um, most of the ISPs will potentially sell you a routable IP address, but they charge you a lot for it, because that's a business thing. Um, and if you've got a, just got a home service, um, they, they may even block some of the, the, the packets and the possibility of getting stuff to you. So that can be a problem too. So there's, there's this potential problem that means that um, it may be harder for us to come up with new protocols and stuff in the future um, because we're, we've got to divide the world into clients and servers. Phil, let me, let me ask a technical question now because what we're talking about of running out of IP addresses is called IP version 4. We're now coming on, um, fingers crossed in the next year or two, uh, to IP version 6. Does this give us enough numbers to have routable IPs then? Yes, yes. If we, if we adopt IPv6, we've got enough routable IP addresses to um, give one to approximately half the atoms on Earth. So that should, be, um, that should be enough for the foreseeable future. So we could all have multiple things in our pockets that, that do root, but this means um, the Internet companies change their infrastructure to deal with IPv6 as well as IPv4 um, and all the software. In the, the software in the clients is mostly there, but we need to actually do big infrastructure modifications to make that work. So I'm hoping that does happen. Now, I mean, there's, there's lots of stuff going on right here in South by Southwest. This is the best studio we can find. It's next to some cellophane pillars. But uh, now, here's the thing. I'm not actually sure that routable IP addresses are actually in room 404 and forgotten about. I think they're, they're, they're there and available if people need them. And yet I agree with you that the home users don't know about it. But my question isn't, should we bring them out? It's my question is, are they actually in there at the moment? In, in practical terms, they are. So, okay, I'll say routable IP addresses by default. Is that better? That's better, I think, yes. Okay. That can come out because I think everybody should be able to make their own media and push it out to everybody else. I can't think why. Uh, especially when it's got your podcast, yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was leaving that as an ironic pause, but there we go. Uh, right then, item number two, Kevin. So item number two that I want back is my Commodore PET backup stakes. So my first computer was a Commodore PET. Um, I got it in 1979 um, after I'd written this program and convinced my dad that I could do something interesting with it. 
um, he lent me the money to buy it and I paid it back out of doing a paper round for, for a year for a year yeah <laughs> now let me just get it right you're not arguing for the Commodore Pet to come back out you're not asking for lots of backing tapes to come out you're asking for one thing of yours to come back out uh, well what happened is when I moved to America I left all, I left all that in, in my mum's garage and she very carefully preserved the computer and threw out all the tapes so <laughs> I've got this nice old bit of hardware from the um, late 70s but unfortunately all the data I created in that time has been um, disposed of so that's what I'd like back oh I mean that is what, what else is on the tapes I mean you, you've got the fax programme what, what else um, it's a mixture of like me trying to write video games in basic and then me learning assembler and writing video games in assembler and then um, there was a bunch of my mates who built a programmable character generator so that you could change the typeface on the screen from just being the classic one to something else bunch of stuff I wrote for that. There's like lots of bits and pieces. You know, I'd like to just like to go back and have a look at it. And there are emulators around now that I could run them on. I mean, I could probably run one on my phone. But it's just the data has gone, and that's 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 a problem. And it's a problem all told because even if we had the tapes back now, magnetic tape from the late seventies is going to be cutting it fine, isn't it? What's, what's the magnetic length of time? Not bad. Um, audio cassette tape from the seventies will still play, and the, the, it wasn't that high bit rate. So, you know, it was... Yeah, I suppose there's, there's, there's quite a big tolerance there, and I can right. still listen to... But I'd probably have to find... I'm, you know, I, I, will, I will bet money that if I went and looked on the, on the net, I could find something that would turn an MP3 of a pet cassette tape into a, into a binary for image that would go into my pet, into a pet emulator, so... Well, I do know they exist for the Spectrum, but when you plug in the back and everything. Or, of course, what you could do now, and this is one I've seen, is somebody had caught all their... Com- uh, not the Commodore, their Spectrum tapes, because Commodore tapes are only good for burning... And this is Commodore Pet, not Commodore 64, so that's okay. And they'd taken all, and they'd basically MP3'd all the Spectrum tracks and put them on their iPod as MP3s. So, so it still to took four minutes to load the tape games in. <laughs> you just plugged it into the back of an actual Spectrum, press play on the iPhone. That's wonderful. That's 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 a splendid piece of applied technology. I like that idea. Yeah, you like that idea, right? Tell you what, you can have the tapes out but only as mp3s that you have to play back yourself um okay you know, so, get the commodore so pet put the cable in yeah I'll give you a bundle of- <laughs> yes that's the deal you get them out as mp3s okay i can cope with that I'm you sure can I cope can, with that as I well i can write some audio processing software and get them back if i do that <laughs> that's not the point no you've got to you've got to keep them as mp3s Oh, okay then. If you want memories of your youth back, you have to have all the memories. I've got an old iPod shuffle lying around. I could put them on. And yeah. There we go. There, that's good. Because you wouldn't know what you're loading then, would you? Right. Well, actually, I, I, I had something like that happen with my Android, which is that um, my voicemails are recorded onto there as MP3s, and then my music player finds them, and when I'm on shuffle, every now and then it will play a random voicemail from like three months ago. Oh, only at South by Southwest. Right then, you're doing quite well. You've you've got two out in kind of a fashion. Um, Some variant of. Everybody's now thinking we should do we should try and get our stuff out in person. It's obviously harder. Let's see how we get on with item three. So item three, I want I want Mornington Crescent Service to come back. Done. Item four. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right then, for for those people who are listening, let's just illustrate what we mean with two people. Okay, because then we can go talk about the service. So, Dollis Hill. Neeson Park. Oh, are we playing pre-1964 or not? 
Um, I was going for present day. Is that? Oh, yeah. Okay. In that, in that case, uh, actually, can we make it? Can we make it 1998? Because I can't remember the new Jubilee line. You, you can do, but then you can't have Neeson Park because we're above and uh, we're on a plus three coefficient. You're right. Okay. Um, Preston that, Hill. Preston Hill. Ooh, Grange Hill. Orange Hill. Ah, Belfast. Transporter Bridge. Ooh. You put me in nip. I did. Swine. No, I can't do that. No. Only Tottenham Court Road's open. Oh, oh, hang on. Damn. Plus three coefficient, remember? Yes. Um. Bank. Now, we're not playing the weakest link here, folks. So, plus three coefficient, in nip, takes two off. Banks above the Thames. Oh, if I go below the Thames, force you west. Vauxhall. Oh. Oh, no. Hang on. Vauxhall. I said 98, so I can't go through the East London line. Damn. I'm box. I'm going to... Oh, no. <laughs> you go to Kensington, aren't you? Yes. High Street, Kensington. Mornington Crescent. Well done. <laughs> so, why do you want to bring back a Mornington Crescent server, the quintessential British radio game? Well, there was a web version of this radio game that a bunch of people set up um, by having the simplest Perl script on Earth which basically gave you two fields to type into and it would append it to the page. Um, the first field you put your name in, the second thing you put your move in. And you will alternate and play Mornington Crescent, like we just did, but with text. Um, except that it was multiplayer, it was on servers, and you'd, you'd you know, make a couple of moves a day and it would happen over time. And then people would, would use it to play other games. They'd play the Limerick game, they'd play... You can't play one tune to the song of another because it's text, but you can play you know, many of these other games. Um, you could you could play. Um, uh, I think face, they had face pajamas. Do you remember face pajamas? pajamas? Yeah, they had Cheddar Gorge as well. Yeah. Um, they had basically it was it was anything any sort of improv comedy you can do with with, with speech you can do with text. It's a little bit more work with text, um, but it can work. And the closest thing we've got to this now is the, the sort of weird Twitter hashtag games. Um, that, that's almost Morning Crescent Service Reborn, but it doesn't have the same threading and ability to make multiple rooms. Yeah. And repetition and, and all of that stuff, because the order is just as important. And then the wonderful Yoz Graham used to run Mornington Crescent Service too. So. Yoz, of course, who we had back a couple, couple of weeks ago as well. So maybe, Yoz, if you're listening, you know, Starship Titanic's taking over, maybe you could carve out a little space in the game room. That would be fun. It would be, yeah. Well, as we already said at the top, Mornington Crescent Service are out. No, it's, it's a given. Three for three. Well. I mean, we, we, we might as well call you Tim Linsenham. <laughs> not sure about that. Yes, I've no idea that is. Sorry, I've been away. I mean, that's fine. He's in, I, I was putting in. I was doing, doing my, my weekly American baseball reference. Oh, I thought it was a, okay. No, American baseball. I don't follow at all. Oh, opening picture for the giant. Anyway, item four makes no sense. Okay, item four is Grogs. That's spelled G R O G G S. Grogs. Ah. You have no idea, do you? No, I'm bluffing. It's the <laughs> generalised reverse order gossip gathering system. 
which was um, on the on the computer system at Cambridge University when I went there in the mid eighties, um, and it was kind of an a chat room type Twitter type thing. It was it was slightly threaded. You would you, if you had an account on the computer, you could log into this thing and you see the new threads and you post to them and reply to them. So it was kind of like Usenet, except it was very local, mm-hmm. and so you had much more of a sense of who the people were. Um, and I used this for three years when I was at Cambridge and had lots of fun playing with it and inviting people to, to the film club and debating this and that. And um, I think it would be nice to have it back. I did actually go and look for it um, when you mentioned this idea, and I found there is an archive of it. But very thoughtfully, they only give you access to the archive if you can prove you were a member. Oh, so that's nice. That's like TARDIS up at Edinburgh University as well. TARDIS ACUC. It's TARDIS Ed ACUC. Apologies. Um, don't want to give you the real address. I might look it up now. So I... Um, um, so, um, and it's probably cheating a bit because the, the archives are actually available and I did, did download them and, and um, lose an entire night reading them. Um, but it was the, the service itself that was there that worked. And it was, it was, you know, it goes back to the first one. It was a small service that was written by somebody um, that, that could run there, run locally over the machines. We could use it. It was fun. Uh, it makes sense and it didn't involve um, storing all this stuff on some other company's service so they could sell ads against it. It was just yeah. running on, a, on the... Um, well, it's running on the Cambridge University mainframe, I suppose. So, so it was the university could run ads against us or something. So how, how big was the archive? Not very big at all. Um, it didn't, yeah, I can't remember how long it was like. I mean, with megs, gigs? Megs. It was tiny. So, so basically, you could carry it around on your phone now. That's true. You just need to write a client. Well, this is the, this is the thing about archives. This was The thing that blew my mind when I got the, the multi-arcade machine emulator was that most of the games that I remember from the, from the 80s and 90s took up less space um, than their icons. Yeah. They were like 17K in UK. Oh, download that. Did that happen? And yeah, it's like, this, is this, this interesting thing is that um, it feels like you can't get much on your phone because instead of having a hard disk, you've got flash storage and that's more expensive per gig. But actually, you can probably get everything you did with a computer um, before 1995 on your phone um, in the space that you'd have one voicemail message. I actually checked this out a while back, um, which was, how big is the archive of every single ZX Spectrum game? Now, there there are two things. There's there's about 100 games in total missing off the official archive, and Codemasters had said, please don't copy off any of our games. So they exist, but they're not on the servers. Everything, yeah, with, 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 as, a, as an image, is about 370 meg. Right. Very plausible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. Now, what are you arguing to get out here? Are you arguing to get the archive out, the reader out, the service out? I'm, I'm not quite sure on that, though. I think they are about the service out. I think the, the, um, there isn't any real reason to stop running these kinds of services. Um, and you could certainly, you know, this was a terminal thing. You could certainly map it to the web. You could map it to Twitter or email or something else, have different affordance into it. But having these, these local things is, is, is very attractive. It's, see, now, see this, is, this is, again, another interesting one for me. Because to me, again, you're arguing for something that, that's probably already out here. There's lots of services that are very similar to this. There's not a specific one. And you know, you know, it's chats, it threads, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of Monica, a little, little bit of Erica, all of that, and it doesn't feel like it's particularly unique. Yes, the content is, and the people is, but to actually bring out 
the grogs, you know, service back out again. You know, twofold. One, I think that there's there's so many opportunities to create communities now with the great tools that you would be able to easily replicate this yourself. And if you had a code monkey, you'd be able to do it quite quickly. And, and there is that. And you know, it would be a great startup idea. Uh, and it also, and, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but everybody has it too easy nowadays when you can just download PHP BB and Body Press and, and, and just the way they go. I don't want to hand them everything on a silver platter. They should, you know, personally, it's, okay, tell you what, I shall make you a deal on this one, okay? okay? And there's going to be a lot of responsibility in this, okay? You can have grogs out. But you have to delete every V bulletin installation in the world first. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, that seems like a win, actually. <laughs> that seems a win for the world, isn't it? <laughs> you going for that then? Yep. Right. Okay. So if you can come back in the Christmas special uh, and prove <laughs> to me that you've deleted all the V bulletin episodes, then Grogs can come out. Okay. I can. I'll for now. For now, it moves into three or one which is our purgatory. Purgatory, okay. We might redirect, we might not. Okay. So, three out of four. That's, with that's the, actually 302. Is that 302? What's 301? 301 is permanently redirected. Well, it was in 404. We've moved it up. It's, it's there. We might move it again. The thing is, you're now arguing yeah, with the host. Again, yeah. 302. 302, 301. I've said 301 in previous episodes, though, so we have to keep the joke running. Oh, okay then. Yeah, otherwise I'll look silly. <sighs> Again. Uh, yeah. Do people know how you dress? No, it's audio. I right. love audio. So <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't worry about looking silly. Okay, thank you very much, Ed. Right, three out of four coming out. Karmic balance time. Okay. Bringing in something from the modern world. Now, just to, just to stress something here. This is a global thing. Okay, you can't just put in something cute on my phone. Something that goes in, you have ripples. That's right. Okay. So, Kevin, what are you banishing? I'm banishing two big buffers. Now, being British, with a British sense of humour, that could refer to a great many things. I'm surprised you didn't say matron, actually. I was just taking it easy, you know. We do not have any daffodils at the table. Well, two big buffers. And that's T-double-O, two big buffers, not two big buffers. Um, we have a problem, which is, it's a problem of abundance. It's actually really, really easy to get RAM now. Anyway, I was joking about it earlier with the Spectrums and the, and the, and the pets and the, and the video games. But now it's very, very easy to just stick RAM in something. And that means it's very easy just to add buffers to things so that you can cope with variation and jitter and unpredictability. Um, and so, it's a, you know, you're an engineer, you think, oh, that's a nice, easy solution. I'll add a buffer to this. Um, but the problem is, every time you add a buffer, you're adding delay. Um, and there's lots of places where this happens, and it causes problems. Um, one, one place is audio and telephony. Uh, the reason, one of the reasons your phone, your cell phone, is so much more annoying than your landline is that it's got extra audio buffers in it. It's got an audio buffer as it goes in when you're speaking to it. It then compresses that audio... It writes it into, sends it over the network, goes through some network buffers. It comes out into buffers on the other end of the phone, and they add a little bit more delay there. Then it goes into the codec and gets buffered in and get buffered out again. So by the time it's done all that, you've got like um, half a second to a second of lag before you've even routed it over the internet. Um, so from something that could potentially be running at the speed of light and not be that noticeable delay has now got this extra delay that makes it fairly hard to talk and record. Um, 
you have the same problem with lots of audio gear. Um, when you start using computers for audio, it just starts getting easier to put buffers in, and that adds delay. It makes it very hard to, to um, use them for mixing. Uh, if you look at a TV, modern TV sets um, have multiple frame buffers because they're doing clever image processing to get rid of interlaced artifacts, do stuff like that. So when you inject a video signal into the TV, it takes four frames before you see it, which means you've then got to delay the audio four frames as well, and suddenly you've got another audio buffer, um, and then you're trying to play your video games going, why is my really expensive LCD display worse than this CRT that I had before? Um, Why is everything suddenly laggy? Oh, because everything's got a bunch of buffers added. But the, the one that's really annoying is the big buff, the two big buffers that people throw into internet infrastructure. Because it seems like a good idea. It's like, oh, if I'm sending data over the internet, if the thing be, the other side of it is a bit slow, if I keep buffer it up, I can send it through a bit later, and that will, that will save dropping packets and having to retransmit them. Um, and the problem with this theory is that internet, the TCP IP protocol is designed to cope with drop packets and to discover the point at which the network drops packets to see how fast it is. And so if you start putting buffers in, you actually break TCP IP. So you start sending bits into the network, um, and TCP goes, oh, they're accepting it, great, I'll go a bit faster. They're accepting it, I'll go a bit faster. Because it's trying to find the point where it says, no, the buffer's full, stop it, and it goes backs up a bit below that, so it can send it through as fast as possible. Um, and what happens is, it's filling up in this one of these buffers in the system somewhere, it's not actually measuring the whole delay from one end to the other. Um, and so your thing throws all this data into there, it doesn't actually get sent. It sits there, and then eventually it realizes it's delayed, and then it starts messing about with the bandwidth, and you, you find that you can't you know, watch streaming video over the net, or suddenly your game gets jittery, or something like that happens. Because it's the, the, the protocol is trying to discover what the actual end-to-end speed of light type delay is, um, but some, something in the, in the middle doesn't belong to you. is sitting there adding an extra delay um, and making it very hard for you to do anything that's actually interactive with your system, like play a video game, have a telephone conversation, um, send video over the net, those kinds of things. So I say get rid of those buffers. It, it strikes me that buffers on the internet, from how you described it there, is the ultimate illustration of capitalism. Well, go on. Because if, if it was communism, you know, everybody gives what they can, everybody takes what they can then you wouldn't need buffers because you'd be just giving out as fast as you can and people would be accepting as fast as they can and nothing more. And, and so, so, in other words... I'm not seeing a metaphor here. Oh, well, OK, maybe we're not seeing a metaphor. Let's try again then, shall we? Right, capitalism, you just buy, 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 spend, spend, spend as much as you can to your own personal needs. In other words, you're quite greedy about it. Communism, you know, everybody's providing what they can and it benefits the greater good. So if you got rid of buffers then everybody would accept as fast as they can and everybody would give as fast as they can and then the TTY would be the regulator, as it were. It would be the Politburo. Um, I'm... Uh, I, I can, OK, if you want to do a financial metaphor, it would be um, debt. Buffers buffers are latency debt. So um, if, you, if you've got some kind of credit card that will keep letting you borrow money, you don't notice that you've run out, um, and then you suddenly find you've got to pay back all that, late, that debt that you've, you've accumulated, and that takes longer than it would have done to do it in the first place. So buffers, buffers are the, the debt crisis of the Internet. Ah, see, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting something interesting, because I like that. 
I, li- I like the idea because because I'm one of the people that, that I don't I like keeping my credit card clear. I like paying it off at the end of every month, and then I don't have stuff. So what you're essentially saying is, is if we got rid of buffers, everybody would be in a much more sensible footing. Yes. What's the downside? Because you must know if there's a downside or not. Well, the downside is if you're the, the trade-off is that you're trading off um, but latency for bandwidth when you're doing this. So if you have fewer buffers, um, you're getting the latency back, but you're, um, you're seeing more jitter in your bandwidth. And the, the idea of buffers is to smooth that out. So if you're just doing a one-way file transfer and you're not, you're not bothered when it's done, then a buffer may help you a bit because you don't get any drop packets. But if you're actually using the Internet interactively or, or um, the problem... See, there's a big difference between bandwidth and latency. Bandwidth is how much you can move through and latency is how long it takes. Um, you can always get more bandwidth by buying more cables and connecting them together, but you can never get any latency back that you've lost because once you've delayed it, you can't change, go backwards in time and get it back again, unless you've got a TARDIS in the network somewhere. Yeah, but. Which is still up at Edinburgh University and you can only go there if you've proved you've been to Edinburgh. Fair, I have been to Edinburgh, but only on the train. <laughs> so there we go. It's such a fundamental change to the structure of the internet you're asking for here, Kevin, isn't it? No, no. What I'm saying is, this is how, I'm saying this is how the internet was designed. When the internet was put together, we didn't have enough RAM to make these giant buffers, so the thing would hold like three packets, four packets at most. Whereas now I can hold, you know, all the Spectrum games ever made. What you're asking for then is for the internet designers to turn it off and on again. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And whenever that phrase, turn it off and on again, is used in room 404, what happens? We are happy. We're happy. Okay. We're happy. Bye-bye, big buffers. In it goes. See, if it's back in the studio, we could do a really cute sound effect there. But Excellent. We don't. We just have to imagine the really cute sound well, effect. Well, you can always do them in post. No, because I've got music starts tomorrow at South By, and I'll be busy. I, <laughs> I, I I've, I've got to try and interview Duran Duran. Are you going to get them to do Room 404? I'd love to. Personally, I just want to go up to them and go, so, how shit wears Bandau Ballet? <laughs> well, have I'm, you been following Simon Le Bon's tweets? No, I haven't, no. Yeah, he's, he's, Simon Le Bon is tweeting as Simon J.C. Le Bon. It's, it's definitely worth it. Does he follow the, if he's around. Does he follow the Kemp brothers? Um, yeah, I think one of them. I think just one of them. <laughs> that must be really goalie. Cross-check the, 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 um, all the followings, yeah. But. So, so there we go. Room 404... Uh, exclusively revealing that Simon Le Bon might be following Spandau Valley on Twitter. What would you do without the show? You'd probably have um, 32 minutes of your life back, if I was honest. Um, Kevin, big buffers, banished forever. Grogs, sitting in 301.5. Three others, successfully out. That is a good run at 404. Are you happy with that? I think so. I think, I think I'm pleased that that came out that way. Okay, so, Kevin, you can be found online in many places, uh, both in the written word, uh, spoken and in video as well. Where can people uh, keep an eye on you and find out more? Um, I'm, I'm Kevin Marks on pretty much everything you can type a name into, like Twitter and MySpace and Facebook and so on. Um, KevinMarks.com and my podcast show that I do weekly um, on thurs- Thursdays at 6pm Pacific. Um, which is small hours of the morning in England, is tumblevision.tv. That's T-U-M-M-E-L-V-I-S-I-O-N.tv. Kevin, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ewan. And for all of you listening out there, Room 404 will be back again next week, because to be honest, it was touch and go whether we was going to get an episode this week. Uh, you'll find us on iTunes under Room 404 and online to find the comments in the RSS feed at room404.thepodcastcorner.com. Want to get in touch with me, want to be on the show, suggest some guests, or uh, if you're one of, if you're the other Kemp follower uh, who's not... The other Kemp follower? 
I need bear. <laughs> I was going to say the other cat brother who's not being followed, but uh, yeah, <coughs> get in touch. You at the podcast corner dot com. Camp follower. We're not doing Eurovision yet. That's in. That's in May. Okay. Cheers. Catch you next week. <laughs>